Okay. Yes, tis the season when tillers go out of town and they call the deep bench uh, to come uh, teach. So just as a quick reminder, though, keep them in your prayers. For those of you guys who've been around long enough, just so happens when they like to go out of town, some things in their home occasionally go on the fritz and other things, and there was a little bit of car trouble this week and I think a dryer that went on the fritz. And one of the things we always try and pray for our leaders and everybody, but that they get real rest and come back well-rested. So Chael isn't preaching for a couple weeks. My hope is that he's going to come full of fresh fire and that it would come out of a place of rest. So yeah, as you're praying this week, just keep them in your prayers. Obviously, safety to and from, but it seems like sometimes the attack, spiritually speaking, in terms of distractions and those types of things, loves to perk its, its head up when they're trying to get away and get out of town. Tonight uh, is pretty simple. I'm just going to be talking about the kindness of God. And not to be overly redundant, but God is really kind, and that's kind of the point. Um, he's kinder than you think. And to know God is to really know him in his kindness. The longer I've been journeying as a believer, God just continues to amaze me in the way that he sort of revealed his kindness to me. And so we're only going to read a couple of brief passages of Scripture uh, you can turn there now, I'm going to get there in a little bit, so don't put it up on the screen yet, bud, but uh, that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, if you're somebody like me who brings a Bible these days, or if you've got it on your phone. But one of the things I've noticed over the years is that I'm often doing is defending God and his character, sometimes to people who don't know him as well as I do. Have you ever feel like you've ever seen anybody misrepresented. I know that's never happened in social media or those kinds of things these days. But if it's someone you know specifically and you hear somebody else talking about them in a way that you know is disingenuous or more, maybe more accurate, accurately, just not truthful. I had the privilege recently of this happening to me uh, on Twitter. For those of you uh, who know me, you, you would know I do not like social media type of thing. I'm not against it, but just let me, let me be careful here. I'm not trying to offend anyone if you're into social media or whatever. That's just kind of not my thing. However, through some business things and whatever, we have a profile. I was asked recently to do some instructing at a seminar for some things we do within the industry. One, uh, I and my business partner have attended. One, we believe in. We wouldn't put our name behind something, you know, that, a product that we... We wouldn't buy ourselves, that kind of thing. So somebody was running a, one of these ad campaigns on Twitter. Somebody else decided to retweet it and call the entire event a scam, which I found interesting, uh, given that this person doesn't know me, doesn't know the sponsor of the event, doesn't know the promoter, and knows nothing about the content or what's going to go on there. So I was having one of these quiet uh, inner moments, trying to dialogue with the Holy Spirit in terms of, okay, what's the right way to respond in this instance? And I was immediately, like, I'm not going to engage with people, or more accurately, who we might call trolls or that type of thing, that are on social media publicly in any way. I'm not going to defend myself or this. But just as I was thinking about it, I immediately had the thought, like, I wonder if this is how the Father feels all the time. 
people saying things about him that aren't true, dragging his name through the mud, taking his name in vain, blaming him for all kinds of problems and situations that we see in our lives or in the world around us. Anybody experience anybody throwing those kinds of things out there? As an evangelist, I'm often sometimes having these conversations with people, and they're, they're holding God under accusation, and I'm saying, he's not like that. You don't, you, don't know the, you don't know him the way I know him, and if you did, you'd probably look at this situation a little differently. Is, is this, are we, oh, okay, Rob, thank you. Like, okay, somebody, somebody's with me here. Uh, but if you've never heard any of these things, you know, it, it can be as simple as, if God is good, then why did X, Y, Z happen? If God is so kind, why is the world in, in the state that it's in? What about all these rules? If your God's so kind, why is he so interested in telling me what to do and how to live my life? Dallas Willard, one of uh, my, I guess, literary mentors, if you will, wants to find God as the happiest, most joyful being in the universe. That's not usually how people who don't know God tend to describe him. Anybody ever noticed that? But the more you know him, the more increasingly you tend to describe him that way. He also said that God is not mean, but he is sometimes dangerous. I always think of that uh, story in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy asks, uh, I think it's like one of the beavers, when they're going to see Aslan, well, like, is he safe? And we know the answer. Mr. Beaver's like, no, he's not safe, but he's good. The reality is the world is not kind. God is. I thought that middle song we sang just kind of nailed it in terms of to know God deep down is to really know him in the depths of his kindness. But it often runs in head-on collision with some of the things that we feel intention in our own lives. Some of the, the questions I just discussed, more we'll get into. But I would, I would offer that God is often the most misunderstood being in the universe, but he's also the most secure. God doesn't need to constantly have this need to be praised and defend himself. This is why sometimes we encounter him most powerfully in worship when we willfully choose to give God the praise and adoration that he's due anyway. But he isn't, he isn't requiring that of us. Furthermore, God can handle all these questions and these objections. I was once uh, in a canoe with someone just listening to their story, and it became abundantly clear. It's not, your issue isn't that you don't believe in God, it's that you're just angry with him. And so I started to ask a few questions and then they were agreeing with me. Yeah, that's my problem. I was saying, have you ever had this conversation with him? Have you ever told God how you really feel? By the way, he can handle it. And I would encourage that. I'm not saying to be dishonoring. I'm not saying to go on an expletive-ridden tirade about all the problems in your life, but to tell God what's really going on. And then to see, is he kind? Is he good? Is he safe? I want to suggest, though, that any thought or system of thinking that we have that allows us to conclude 
that God isn't kind is ultimately going to need to be repented of. And what I mean by that, I'm not like saying in sackcloth and ashes, you've got to, you know, sob on the floor and, oh, I've been so wrong in the way I'm thinking about this. Repentance in the Greek just means to change your mind, but that change of thought is pregnant with action. So I used to think this way, which caused me to act that way, and now I think differently, and therefore I act differently. Does that make sense? I mean, that's what the kingdom of God is really all about, right? Is to come under his way of thinking in preference to our own. And this is where a lot of our struggles arise. If God is so good, why do I still struggle with this thing or that thing? I'm sure nobody can identify with that question. So let's look at this scripture. This is not going to be super clear. A little bit of that is sort of by design. A quick homework assignment too. We're talking three verses, guys. I would challenge you, read these every day this week and meditate on them. And then just see if there isn't something God has hidden for you this week and that if he's kind in the midst of showing you these things. I'm, I'll take anybody out to dinner and pay anywhere you want. If you do that this week, come back next week and say, yeah, nothing came out of it. There was no fruit whatsoever. Deal? Anybody taking me up on that? All right. I hear Ish laughing. He's taking me up on it. Uh, I, I know he likes, uh, he likes to eat. I remember the time I was talking on hunger at Ish and I was putting out food examples. He's like, stop, I'm, I'm starving already. So the kingdom of heaven, this is, this is Jesus. And this is almost, uh, if you read this section of Matthew, I kind of think of it as like the Sermon of the Mount 2.0 because he rattles off a bunch of these power-packed small little parables that I'm sure sailed over 90%, 90% of the hearers or the readers in some cases the first time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Remember, the kingdom of God is wherever the king reigns. Wherever Jesus is king is where the kingdom of God is, right? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. God's rule and reign in your life is really based in his kindness. I think of the verse in Jeremiah 9, where he says, if you want to boast that you know me, it's because I delight in kindness and justice. In these things, I delight. So let's just talk about this idea. Is God hidden? Yes. But is it because he's unkind to stay distant? No, I want to suggest it's exactly the opposite. One of the probably more well-known atheists of the last 20 years, Richard Dawkins, uh, he wrote The God Delusion and some other poor books, in my opinion. Uh, but he was asked, Richard, what would you say if at the end of your life you realized that God did exist? What are you going to say to God? And he actually quoted Bertrand Russell, and he said, well, I guess I would just ask him, why were you so hidden? And anybody ever said that to you? Well, you know, God seems obvious to you. doesn't seem that obvious to me. And I want to submit, it's because he's kind. The nature of kindness is not forceful. It's not coercive. God is not going to force himself on anyone who has zero interest in him. Is this making sense? The nature of goodness is not to force anyone to do anything. If I told you, 
for lack of a better example, okay, I, I am a phenomenally kind, wonderful person. Again, this is a, we're taking a leap of faith here. And I decided, I, okay, Sean, first person I lock eyes with, we are now going to become best friends. Sean's chuckling already. He's like, I don't know, I got a lot of friends, you know what I mean, or whatever. But if I said to him, no, 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 like, listen, I think this will be a huge blessing to you. What are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm hanging out. Now, cancel that. You're penciling me in. Yeah, 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 he's out. <laughs> he's out already. But like, and then I was, oh, what about tomorrow? Well, Allie and me got these plans. Eh, we had, shift that. I'm sliding in. How many of these rounds would we go before he goes, this doesn't feel kind? This feels coercive. This doesn't really feel loving. It feels forceful. If I had told my wife when I asked her to marry me, she said, no, well, I love you this much. I'm not going to let you say no. Nobody would say that's the nature of love, right? Yet we hear people saying things like, well, I don't really have any interest in God because he's not really there. It's like, well, he's not really there because he's partially hidden, but he's not hidden from you. He's hidden for you. Think about this. Anybody ever hid from a little child before? It's not that hard. I mean, like when my kids were little, it's like you could sit on the couch and just put like a pillow over your head and they couldn't find you half the time. But then there's this joy once you take the pillow away. Anybody, like there's a deep, there's something deeper going on here. Why do we wrap things for our kids or for, for anybody? Why? Because there's this, there's this wonder in wondering what am I going to find inside? Sometimes the best things, it's not that like you got to dig a mile deep, but the best things in our walk with God are sometimes a little bit hidden. I can't tell you how many times I've read the scripture. I was like, how did I miss this? It was right there. Sometimes people ask me, well, why do you keep reading it again? It's like, <laughs> because it's, there's so much treasure like that's still there to be uncovered. The wonderful thing about God, too, is he is the treasure, but yet he's also the giver of the treasure. Anybody notice that? Like, God is ultimately the reward. Like, walking in friendship with him is better than anything this world has to offer. That's just my own story. Like, that's, that's where I, I come out with the whole thing. I'm dying on that hill. The goal now is just to kind of finish well. Like, uh, I've resigned to the fact that, God, you're really good. You continue to amaze me in the way you show me your goodness and your kindness. But as I was saying before, sometimes the circumstances don't, don't feel that way. And I want to submit, too, that's okay. So let's talk about a few of these. Let's get a little practical. This idea of rules... How many of us have ever even watched a child, let alone parented at one, or done anything around small children before? How many of us think rules are a horrible idea, if you've ever done that? Guys, this runs, I feel like we're in a cultural moment where it just feels like any prohibition, any prescriptive you give anybody, nobody wants, everybody just thinks you're, you're stealing something from me, you're robbing me. That's no good. What good father doesn't put boundaries somewhere in some way for their kids? 
And yet, as children of God, sometimes I'll be the first one to say, you know, I don't know, I, this, I'm not sure about this one. You know, whatever the prescriptive is. And I, this can be in the word. It can also be in personal conviction. I can remember one time praying at work about something, and God was saying, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to go that way. I'm sitting there going, what do you, what, what's wrong with this? And Brandon and I even talked about it and this whole other thing. We just both kind of had a check about it. Fine. In hindsight, that was a great idea because that would have been, just been a giant path to nowhere. But let's be more practical. Boundaries are there for protection. You're not going to let your kid play on the highway. If they want to climb the fence into a wild animal pen, you're going to pull them off. Well, why would a loving God do anything differently? The reality is sometimes... We just think we know the fence and the rules and the different things better than he does. But it's because he's kind. I often say to my kids, like, I want the best life for you possible. I usually say that in the context of me telling them something that they shouldn't be doing. But it's like, I'm trying to remind them, though, that, like, my heart is for you. And my heart is kind. One of my mentors in the past put it this way, and it's always stuck with me. Any of you guys knew Christopher Barnes? Whenever he used to teach on sort of God's prescriptives, he would always say, if God gives a command, it's always a gift, and it's never a theft. It's always a gift. Problem is, it just doesn't always feel like a gift, but it doesn't mean that's not true. And if God really is kind, then every single prescriptive he would give is ultimately for your betterment, even if... Being obedient unto them is difficult. And I'm not here to suggest that everything God has ever asked us or asked of us is always easy. It's not. But boundaries, guardrails, these are there for good reason. And in some of my own struggles, which is where I'm going next, we're going to get real fun here. What does it look like to really struggle? Uh, and to battle with things inside the family of God and still experience God in his kindness. Because what often happens is, in my view, we, we adopt this theology that says, I'm going to say yes to Jesus so I can go to heaven with, when I die, which really isn't the gospel that Jesus taught. That's another sermon for another time. And then the rest of my life becomes a sin management game. How do I swear less? Lust less, cheat less. I mean, just fill in the blank, right? Is anybody, anybody familiar with this phenomenon? But we're going to struggle. See, the enemy has no hold. If you're in Christ, he has absolutely no say in where you spend eternity and who ultimately owns your heart. So his goal is now, how do I just spoil your witness? How do I make your light so dim that it barely radiates anything to the world around you? God's plan is to represent Jesus in each one of us everywhere we go. When I make, that's where the word represent comes, right? It means to represent something. And God's heart is that we would, yes, come to a saving faith, but then be transformed as our minds are renewed. More into his image so we look more like Jesus everywhere we go. And so what does the enemy do? Accuse us with lies and try and keep us distracted with whatever sin issue we battle with. I'm sure nobody's identifying with anything that I'm saying right now. This, is, this was my story probably for the first 10 years I was taking Christianity serious. And I'm going to talk, I'll try and keep it PG-13, 
um, just about some of my own struggles with lust and pornography. It's like as soon as I got really serious, it's like the parable of the weeds. A seed the father sows is growing in me, and right alongside it, a weed starts growing. And for me, it was this constant cycle of struggling with lust and pornography. Not regularly, not all the time. It was like I would go for a while, it wouldn't be an issue. And then it would rear its head, and I would, through discipline and controlling, let's say just strong arm it and push it down. And literally the way I felt sometimes was like you're just white-knuckling something to keep it down while living what feels like a normal Christian life. And I know, I know, I know in my knower that some of you know exactly how that feels. It's, it's this weird pseudo area between real freedom and legalism. And I've lived it for a long time. And this is where it gets kind of personal. The entire time I felt like I struggled early on with God's just disappointed in me because I can't get my you-know-what together. I just can't keep it down. And, if I, and I'm a pretty disciplined person for those of you who know me. And I tried all the stuff, and it worked, kind of. And then you'd have like a little slip up every now and again and have a bout of guilt and shame and talk to my wife about it and talk to your pastor about it and, talk, and, and then it'd be fine for nine months. And then you'd do this whole cycle over again. And I can remember finally just saying to God like many times, like, what's the deal? Like, why? You know my heart. I was an elder at this church battling this for a number of times. And I've shared some of this in the past with some of you guys. And it wasn't until I felt like God really showed me, you don't understand what's really going on here. We're going to have to take, we're going to have to go a little deeper. We're going to have to uncover and undig a few more things in terms of who I am, who you are, and areas of your mind that haven't been fully transformed yet. But never once did shame or guilt win the day in that battle. Not one time. And it was a couple years ago, I was just in a prayer time where it wasn't that I was indulging any of this behavior at all. Felt fine, but it's like I'm constantly feeling bombarded by this temptation that I'm just like trying to keep under a foot or under control. And I felt like the Lord's saying, like, we haven't really gotten there yet. You're not fully surrendered in this area yet. You haven't given up certain systems of thinking yet. And there's some childhood wounds and some other things that I haven't fully healed yet so that, you're, that, so that that temptation no longer hijacks your will. Because that's what really happens, guys. Desire gives birth, like it talks about in James, and then temptation for some of us just grabs a hold of our will. It's not that we don't really will to do the things of God. Most of us, when we're in Christ, do. It's just that occasionally that desire hijacks our will and we feel powerless. And so I partnered with Chael and John Rand and talked with us openly about a few other leaders saying, you know, guys, I'm still, it's not that I'm indulging in any behavior or have anything to confess. I'm just not where I want to be. I don't want to have to have programs on my phone. I want to choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing, because that, it's a natural overflow of who I am. Not just have to discipline myself to always doing the right thing. I know this is a little like high level or technical. Margaret, thank you for being with me on this. You're, you're, giving, you're giving me some positive juju here. That's helping. 
I wrote this out so many different ways, uh, trying to explain it like rationally, and that's how my mind works, but the reality is it's, it's until you feel like the father right next to you going, I want you more free from this than you do. And you experience God's kindness, and all of a sudden, then just show me how. There's freedom in the kindness of his love. It's for freedom we've been set free. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Guilt and shame may get you to change a behavior, but it'll never change your heart. I want to say, too, there is nothing in this life that can't be overcome, partnered with the Holy Spirit and the redeeming work that God wants to do in you. Nothing. I firmly believe that. I'm not saying we're going to slay every issue we've ever had in our life this side of eternity. But I am saying that when the Scripture says you can live free, you can live free. And I'm telling you, I'm walking a level of freedom that I, I just haven't experienced, it's, that I didn't think was even possible five years ago. And it's not, I also want to be really clear, I'm not saying to give in to indulgent behavior, and I'm not saying we get soft on sin. I'm saying sin was dealt with at the cross. And what, we've, what we realize is that we've just been limiting God, you know, since we came into the kingdom. I put this, uh, you know, to one of my other friends who, who made a decision for Christ. It's like, you made a decision, you're in the doorway. There's a massive house now that you haven't explored at all. You took one step in. The rest of your life is exploring all the depths and the nooks and the crannies and the promises and the things that God has for you. Small problem, though. Some of them are a little bit hidden. They have to be uncovered. Why? Because he's kind. He's kinder than you think. He has these things. Again, they're really hidden in, in plain sight. For those of you guys out there, I was going to make this whole analogy about, like, the predator. You know, it's like where they're looking for this, like, invisible enemy that they think is, it's like, it's right there in front of you. How didn't you see it? Like, that's the way I feel about the Lord sometimes. But it requires, one, it requires some humility, and it requires us to, to ask and to really engage with God and to say, what's, what's really going on here? And if you want prayer for any of those things I mentioned or in the area of an issue of lust or whatever, man, I'd love to pray with you. But what I'm really going to pray over you is that you just do, that, you do the digging and uncover what, what treasures God really has for you that may lead you to another level of freedom you didn't think was possible before. Let's talk about another fun one. <clears throat> Unanswered prayers. Desires of our heart, maybe ones God gave us that haven't been fulfilled. Trish and I, a couple months ago, had the privilege, in my view, of having dinner with Johnny Erickson Tata and her husband, Ken, for those of you who don't know. She's been in a wheelchair for over 50 years, quadriplegic, paralyzed in her late teens, and has just been an incredible evangelist and ambassador to the disabled community, both in the United States and worldwide. And just one of the kindest people you'd ever meet, her and her husband. And she talked about in her book which I've been reading, just her journey in surrendering what she thought was an outcome that wasn't even possible. And the incredible journey she went through to get there. And in the four-door book, she talked about 
two things. She quoted Oscar Wilde saying, sometimes the greatest thing in life is, is getting what you want, and the worst thing in life is getting what you want. And she said, I want to submit to you that one of the greatest joys is, is seeing God answer your prayers, and one of the greatest joys is seeing God not answer your prayers. And I remember reading that just being like, I'm going to have to, I have to do a little digging on that one. <clears throat> this is in a season where praying fervently for Brian Zinkel's healing. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And there were some answers along the way, but ultimately not the one that I was asking the Father for. And I know some of you can relate to those kinds of things, where you labor in prayer and you don't always get the answer at least you're looking for. And I want to submit that two things are happening sometimes when we pray. And the more important one isn't necessarily about our circumstance, but it's about the condition of our heart and what God's trying to do in us, not necessarily around us. I was talking to my mom about this recently. And for those of you who know my, a little bit of my mom's story, and I'll, I'm going to close here with a couple stories and... <clears throat> Then we'll just pray and ask that we'd experience more of God's kindness. And for those of you who don't know, my mom's been ill for, I don't know, most of my life to varying degrees. And when I was in high school, she had sort of a real, what felt like some type of a neurological attack, lost the ability to walk and certain sensations in her hands and couldn't see out of one of her eyes. And it was sort of your classic family crisis where... Normal life is massively interrupted, and we don't know what's coming next. And she got diagnosed with MS and a whole bunch of, you know, other neurological problems. I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. And certainly not strong in my faith and not overly interested in the things of God. And it was one of these deals where we just don't know what's coming next. Well, if you're raising the church, what do you do in that situation, right? You pray. That's, that's all you know. By the way, that's the right answer. Like, if, if, we're, if we're keeping score or anything, you're taking a test, that is the right thing to do. And I can just remember saying, God, I'm not even sure you're there. Just don't take my mom away. And we've talked about this over the years, she and I. I was a strong person of faith, and one of the str struggles for me was, God, I don't understand why you would afflict someone who seems to be the most like you that I actually know. What's the point there? doesn't make any sense. And I, that, that kicked off in me a wrestling with God, a digging, a searching for, is it really true who you say you are? Because I'm not so sure with what I'm seeing in front of me right now. I used to drive to Willow Creek when I first got my license because I didn't like the church my family was at. And I'd just sit in the balcony, listen to the worship music, and cry. And that did something. I didn't even fully understand it. And one of the things God showed me in his kindness is that he's really tender. I didn't have a dad who just sat and hugged me and that kind of thing. And that's really what I did for the better part of a year. I just went there and I sat and I felt like God just put an arm around me. 
and the situation didn't necessarily get better. My mom didn't die, but her health didn't really improve all that much. I wish I could tell you that like, it was just, everything was great after that. It wasn't really, but what started in me was a faith journey that has yielded just so much better fruit. I love what C.S. Lewis talks about. It's like God can speak to us in our pleasures, but sometimes he is shouting through our pain because he wants to draw close, so when the pain's gone, the closeness is still there. And I know, I know some of your guys' stories. Like you guys have, have literally cemented a stronger walk with God through trials. I wish it wasn't the case. I really wish it wasn't. But it just is sometimes. And as I was talking about this with my mom, I was saying, you know, Mom, I think the Father really answered more of maybe my prayers and our prayers than we realized. Because we collectively would pray that my mom's health would come to a full recovery, and it didn't. But in my own mind, I was thinking, and I told her this, I was like, Mom, if you had told me then you'd still be here now, I would have said, sold, like, we'll take it. What a blessing. Because at that point, it was like, we don't know if this is going to be an aggressive case. Some people die in a couple years, they go downhill quickly. And, and when you're 14, it's like, God, I'll just, you know, give me the best offer you have. The reality is he wanted my heart. And after talking with my mom about it, though, I had this amazing almost conclusion some 25 odd years later. And she said, you know, son, I wouldn't have traded the, week, the, traded the week I spent in the hospital for anything in the world. I've never felt God's presence that close. Here's two people kind of praying the same thing, neither getting the answer he wants, and God has a bigger plan and is doing a bigger work in both of us. He knows what we ultimately need. Sometimes the means of which is at establishing that isn't the way we'd want. But I'm telling you, again, he's really kind. People often say, you know, the devil's in the details. No, God, when you ask him, is in the details every single time. He has the ability to work things out for good in ways that have blown my mind and continue to blow my mind. Last kind of story, this one's a little different, but <clears throat> it really just, I hope, speaks to the idea that sometimes we think we know what the desires of our heart really are, but Scripture also says that the heart can be deceitful. <laughs> Anybody ever heard someone share a story? Like, you know, I followed my heart and I thought it was going to be good, and then it didn't really work out. Someone's laughing because they know what I'm talking about. I was reading this book <clears throat> called Imagine Heaven, and it's by this guy who's an academic. His name is John Burke. He wrote a bunch of these stories of, of people, some of them in the church, some of them outside the church, who had some of these incredible sort of heavenly, I don't know, near-death experiences, visions, all kinds of things, and, and many of them in coming to faith and all the different commonalities and how they square with scripture and these kinds of things. And Nothing in there was all that brand new, and if anybody saw the movie, uh, like, Heaven is for Real, uh, about the little boy who has that kind of experience, his story's told in there. I love, by the way, his, 
his version of the story, I think he talks about, he was like four or five, and he said, you know, Jesus is really nice, but his dad was super nice. <laughs> like, the, the idea being that, like, again, God's just, I didn't realize he was that kind. Well, my story was, I, I had a dream, and I was reading this, and I met my grandfather. And to just fill in a few of the details, my, uh, my dad's dad I never met. He died before uh, I was born. And he was, I guess, the, the patriarch of faith in the Ritchie family, if you will. My grandmother was a believer, but uh, he had lived a pretty wild life before World War II. Kind of hit rock bottom, I guess. Decided, let's try this whole God church thing. And got saved shortly before going to the war. Met my grandma at a Bible study. Uh, they engaged correspondence. He asked her to marry him, I think, think through letter. Uh, they got married after the war. Classic baby boom story. Had five kids. He decided to get a seminary degree. And in the mid-50s, they sold everything they had, uh, got in a car, drove from the West Coast to New York, and boarded a boat for Europe where they eventually drove to Afghanistan and lived for five years as missionaries. And then my grandparents later went back in the 70s and then he was killed in a car accident. I was very close to my grandma. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what, you don't, what you're missing. And I didn't realize that, you know, a lot of kids had great grandpas. And I had another grandfather. He was, he was a good man, very quiet. We watched Cubs games and played Risk together. Uh, that's what we did. Um, but he wasn't a godly man. He didn't teach me anything about the Lord, didn't teach me anything about Scripture, anything like that. And as I watched my other kids interact with their grandfathers, who were phenomenal men, godly men, loved to spend time with them, you just realized, like, maybe I missed out on something there. Or there was this longing that I didn't know that I had when I was younger and wish I'd had that. So in this dream, I come walking into heaven, and there's my grandfather. And he just put his arm around me and said, welcome home, grandson. I've been waiting for you. I cannot tell you how good that felt when I woke up. It did something in me. I can't even explain. It was supernatural. The idea, though, that God knows, he knows holes that are there we're not even aware of. He has ways of fixing things we didn't even know were broken. When Jesus said, I'm making all things new, there were things he's going to make new we weren't even aware of when he said it. Why? Because he's kinder than you think. When Paul says, any troubles, momentary troubles you're having, don't come close to what awaits us in glory, I'm telling you, it's true. God has shown me like a sliver of it, and I'm like, oh man, I can't, I can't wait to see what else is in store. Rob, you can, you can come. As I was preparing, I felt like I had just kind of two words. And before I pray, I'm just going to pray in a moment. And maybe ask the Spirit just to touch a few folks. The idea, too, is that like God's kindness 
and the revelation of who he is. Sometimes it's gradual. Usually it's gradual. God isn't like the, the 1100 degree steak oven where you sear a piece of meat in two minutes and it's done. He's like your old grandma's crock pot where it's got to sit and it's got to sit and it's got to marinate. It's got to really render. That's usually how he works with us, but I also believe that the spirit can change a heart in a moment. He's both and. And as I was prepping this, I just felt like it may be the same person. I felt like I, I saw somebody who was really laboring in prayer. And maybe it was over one of their kids. I'm not sure. Somebody they know. Almost to the point of like heartbreak. I'm not talking about like I've just been praying. I'm talking about like I've been praying. And I've been praying. And I've been praying. And I've been praying. And if that's you, I just felt like God wants to, he's, he's moving in ways you don't see. But I'd love to pray for you and with you if you identify with that. And the other is just in the area of heartache. I just felt like somebody's really wrestling with a, situa- a situation they've been heartbroken about. And that God's kindness is the elixir. It's that, it's that gentle touch and infusion of his kindness. One of the most powerful encounters I ever have with God. I can't really even talk about it. All I know is I came out kinder and I came out with a deeper revelation of his kindness for me. Let me pray. If you're, if you're here and you just feel like, you know, I, I could use a little more of what he's talking about, just, just quietly open up a hand or even open up your heart. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to move. Holy Spirit, would you just come? I pray you'd soften hearts. My sense, Lord, is that there's a lot of soft hearts in this room, but you want to make it even softer. You want to make us kinder, God, more into your likeness. God, that the fruit of the spirit of kindness would abound in our hearts. And Lord, that we just experience joy in walking with you and knowing you deeper. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want prayer or you resonated with some of those things I shared, come forward. Rob's going to keep tinkering, right, Robbie? Otherwise, have yourself a phenomenal week. Next week is Mr. Wilson, uh, Mr. Ish. Yes. All right. I'm going to say a lot of amens when he's up there.